Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 17, Playing God, teleplay by Jim Trombetta and Michael Piller, and directed by David Livingston. This episode aired on February 27th, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, while hosting her first Trill Initiate, Dax discovers a tiny expanding proto-universe that threatens to destroy the Bajoran system. We have a Dax episode! We have a Dax episode. I'm s- it's, it's been a minute. Yes. I'm so excited to see Dax being casual and fun. This is the Jadzia that I love tremendously. Yeah, it's an, it's really interesting as we kind of work our way through season, season two here. And it's like I'm really starting to recognize a lot of the characters finally um as opposed to season one where it's like you saw the uh the building blocks and the pieces of of who we know them to be and who they grow into um over the course of the the seven seasons but yeah this is definitely one of those like oh this is this is dax and they're they're you know who we know jadzia to be and they've kind of sorted out some of that confusing characterization that they had in season one where it's like in one one minute they're wanting her to be grace kelly and the other minute they're wanting her to be yoda right right yeah happy to be here yes so we have guest star jeffrey blake in this episode he plays arjun and the whole time i'm like this guy looks so familiar to me and he reminded me of this actor that was in One Murder, She Wrote, but then I looked it up and that was a different actor. So I think I was getting him confused. But that being said, he's been in so many TV episodes, so many episodes of different television programs that I am sure I saw him somewhere. He was in a Grey's Anatomy at some point. In any case, he has a very familiar face to me. You know who my favorite guest star was this episode, though? <laughs> was it the Vols? Yeah, the Cardassian Vols. <laughs> They're so ugly and cute at the same time. Yeah, it, it like they're so like ugh, it circles around to being cute again. Yes, hundred like... percent agree. Although I wouldn't want a whole pack of those running around in my walls. No, definitely table, not. So. Like I feel like I would um, be like having nightmares about them trying to like get at me while I'm sleeping. And they're so big too. I know they're, they're so huge. <laughs> they feel like they should be one of the um. Like the rodents of unnecessary size. I think it's in um the Princess Bride or like whatever oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. I forget the actual term. Apologies to that movie that I do love. Um, but it it felt like it some should be something out of the Princess Bride. Was it rodents rodents of unnecessary size? I think that's what it was. It's been a long time since I saw that. But I know what I know what you mean. Unusual size, yes. And then she calls them the R-O-U-S later in the movie. The real, the real favorite guest star, I would assume, is the sexy Klingon chef who is back and flirting with Dex. Unfortunately, to never be seen again after this episode. We love Klingon Artie Bucco, don't we, folks? I wish Artie Bucco, like... I mean, I know he chats with his clientele, but I wish he sang. Yeah, I, I guess there's like a little bit of like junior soprano at that one funeral where he has a little too much wine and he starts yeah. beautifully singing. I went um, to, it's, I find is, it. Is that Jackie Jr.'s funeral? That, yes, the, the, season, yeah, the okay. season three finale. Um, I It's funny. I remember, this. I must have been like 21-ish. I had just gotten my wisdom teeth removed and on, like, Monday and Friday, like, I got the stitches out and we went like out this to... Monday you got them out? No, when I was 21. I said that. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pay attention, please. Um, and we went to this family-style uh, Italian restaurant called Mambo Italiano that is not in Brooklyn anymore. Like, it doesn't exist anymore, but they had... A singer, and it was really cool. It wasn't the chef, but it was, like, this guy who was singing, like, 
I don't remember if he was doing like like Barry White kind of vibe, but it was really fun and he didn't he like didn't really go around to the tables, but it was like that similar vibe. Um, I just wish it was the chef, but obviously the chef's probably busy, <laughs> like cooking right? and stuff. It was a well, very like good the, meal. I, I'm glad to hear that, but I guess the advantage of um, Klingon food largely being live is the chef has less to do. To <laughs> I didn't. So. I didn't consider that. You are totally right. <laughs> um, yeah, and the Klingon chef is unfortunately not not named in the show, but is played by the lead actor Ron Taylor. And in several of the Star Trek novels, the chef is is given a name. He's known as as Kaga or, or Kaga, Kaga maybe. And the name may or may not have been a tip of the hand to Takashi Kaga. Kaga. I, don't recall how you pronounce it properly. I should have looked that up. Mia Culpa, who was the host of the Japanese cooking television series Iron Chef, which actually debuted the same month that the episode Melora, which was the first one to feature the Klingon chef, um, initially aired. So, oh, that's that's super interesting. <laughs> Thank I, you, Beta Cannon. I sprint. I spring from a family. Spring from that's like <laughs> I was raised like by Athena a family. springing from from Zeus's head. Yes, like one I sprung from yeah. a family that watched. Um, the Japanese Iron Chef for a while. Um, we were very much into it. I think we have like a a cookbook from them or something. Um, although I do find it interesting now because Iron Chef was kind of I don't know. I can't tell if it was like problematic because I feel like they were in some ways, making fun of the fact that we couldn't understand what they were saying, if that makes sense. I don't know. That's a topic for a different podcast. But Iron Chef was a lot of fun, and the American version is less fun, but I don't usually watch cooking shows anymore. When I was reading up on this episode, I learned that in the original script... The proto-universe was going to be the A story, and the Jadzia um, Arjun plot was going to be the B story, but they, I don't remember if it was Michael Pill or someone, felt that it lacked the emotional beats that they wanted from the episode, so they actually switched it around, and I think that that was a good decision. I found the discussion of the proto-universe to be interesting but not really in depth and that was fine even though it, they were discussing a serious matter which we can get into later but I found the progressing of Jadzia's character to be way more important and interesting I agree and like what I think makes this episode really strong thematically is by focusing kind of like your, the A plot being the Dax initiate um story and then you have the the very science fiction problem of the proto universe and then even like the vol story in line like those all serve the emotional beats and the character beats in the the Dax Arjun story mm-hmm. more so than I think it would have been like the other way and it really ties this episode really tight thematically um, with the whole idea of the titular playing of God, right? Whether right. it's, you know, being the exterminator for the voles who are just trying to live and be there, but they're they're a pest and they're a nuisance, or, you know, holding someone's career plans in your in your hands and you know, and then obviously like trying to decide what to do with basically your sea monkey universe, but they could be sentient right yeah it's interesting i didn't think about this until just now and i'll we'll repeat this later but there's that scene where odo and kira are debating what to do with the proto universe and odo says that line i don't step on ants and it makes me it's funny because they are literally not odo but kira and miles are literally trying to get rid of these voles (laughs) At the, in the same episode. So I th- think that's like an interesting, like what makes something a past versus something that you want to give a chance to, to live. That whole aspect is very interesting. 
Yeah, and I think like the main the main difference and where kind of the crux of the scientific problem or the science fiction problem of the expanding proto-universe um, comes from is it's like there's indications that on that microcosm in the sea monkey universe um, that there is like sentient life that's going on there and like they know like an ant isn't sentient um, the voles aren't you know sentient like there so it and again it's it's like where some folks you know will still eat meat but maybe they they won't eat they're fine eating cow but they won't have pork because there's you know a different kind of level of you know cognitive ability and things like that there and that's where they interpersonally individually draw their lines in terms of you know the ethics of of eating meat and and things like that um i just yeah i might as well like might as well, I think, if you're okay, talk about it a little bit now. But, like, that specific interaction between Kira and Odo just, like, really sticks out for me. And we mentioned a little bit ago about Dax feeling like the Dax that we, we know Jadzia to, to be coming back to the series. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like Odo's been on this run since um, the Odo episode, like, the alternate, where um, Dr. Moria came, yeah, yeah, yeah. came back. Um that like I'm starting to recognize Odo a little bit more, and I don't want to say they've necessarily like softened his edges because <laughs> he's a goo man, <laughs> respectfully. <laughs> um, so he's pretty soft to begin with, but um, um, but no, but like I think the ways in which, and I think we even talked might have talked about this in the last episode, um, shadow play talking about Odo's approach to the uh, sentient holograms, um. But, like, the ways in which Odo is a lot more willing and empowered and passionate about alternate life forms and other sentient life forms that don't easily fit into um, the humanoid, you know, flesh and blood sort of, like, box that, like, we're used to seeing of, like, human actors sensibly putting on you know, some kind of prosthetic piece and you right. know, they're, they're real and they're, you know, flesh and whatever. I mean, ultimately that's what Rene Aboriginal was portrayal photo as a human with a prosthetic piece, but go with me here. You, you know what I, you, you know what I mean, at yeah. least listeners. So, and I think to having that debate come from two of our non-human characters is really interesting too. Cause like it definitely is informed by both of their backgrounds and kind of like both of their traumas where like Kira yes. is very, black and white and us first them and it's like this isn't a this is a clear and present danger to not only the station and us but like the whole bajoran sector like we need to step on these ants and it's like yeah no maybe it's not like the best thing to do and it has bad vibes but like we just gotta eliminate this threat right which is a very kind of Da, 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 da. like Kira way of like dealing with it at this point right so just, like, I don't think she even gave that comment much thought like it wasn't like no. a decision that she came to that's just like in her re- it was like her reflexes to do that yep yep and like I think to a lot of these sort of ethical debates of, of morality on various topics are able to be engaged with when like they're pretty high up the hierarchy of need um it's like when you're starving in a labor camp or you know a resistance fighter hiding in the mountains you don't have the time or the luxury of engaging in great moral debates right and like i think that that's something too that in our real world especially on the left in the west particularly north america when we're talking about you know different different responses and different theories and like what is like a just response to an international crisis or climate change or, or things like that i've noticed that in the north american left it is very much like an academic perspective where it it comes from this place of of privilege where you know your material conditions are met um you're generally especially on you know the white educated left you know um who's been able to afford college and and all of that stuff it's like it's all academic and it's completely removed of 
you know, the conditions like in the global South as an example, or even conditions of a lot of like non-white folks in North America who like are literally just trying to survive um, right. as opposed to, well, I read this theory and so-and-so says this and blah, blah, blah. Like, yes. And I mean, I like that stuff too, but it's like yeah, completely no. devoid of like any kind of material like reality slash and rant. We should probably talk about Star Trek <laughs> again. I'm sorry. I, I I like that reading, and I like that analysis. All right. So, yeah, let's talk more about the Vols. Uh, so, yeah, I felt the Vols storyline was really fun comic relief for the episode because A and B plots were pretty serious, even though the B plot, for me, wasn't... Th- like, it was important for the people involved, but it didn't feel like, you know, I don't... It was the type of plot where I don't think it gets discussed ever again. But um, I really enjoy Miles and Kira, like, working together on this. And the scene where they're both looking for the voles and their butts are just in the air and that's how they meet Arjun is very funny to me. (laughs) When Arjun's just introduced to Kira and Miles is there, like, like, face down, ass up in the end. It's so good. That's the way I like to collect voles. (laughs) Sorry, I had to finish your song. Um, I did. I, sorry, what were you gonna say? No, go ahead. No, I just say like Arjun's just like what the fuck? Because yeah, like, like what is this whole, yeah. like clown car of a space station that I've arrived at? Is what I think Arjun is thinking after having you know met um Dax the night before playing Tongo, and just he's just like, what have I gotten myself into? Um. I love that in attempt to get help to get rid of the voles, like, Miles calls the Cardassians to be like, hey, um, can you give us some pointers? <laughs> and the Cardassians are just like, your station, your problem. <laughs> and then the- <laughs> I don't remember who he was speaking with because it was not Gold Ducat. Um, It was just, like, a random Cardassian. And <laughs> the guy was like, to, to Miles, well, if you want to leave Bajor, like, saying, like, if these voles are too hard of a problem for you, and I love that Miles just turns the video chat off and was like, yeah, I'm not even going to hear the rest of that sentence. I found that to be very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor Quark-sensitive ears. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, I could Although it didn't... Sorry, go ahead. I couldn't tell if whatever he was doing was, like, physically injuring them or, like, it was a sound thing that was bothering them. Like, I couldn't tell if what he was, what Miles was holding was, like, pointed at Cork's ears or if it was, like, a sound that was, because Cork has very good hearing. So, yeah, no, that, that was that was my read because it's, like, a sonic something or other. So right. it's, like, like, you know, it's, like, Excuse the dog me. whistle, right? Where, yeah, like, yeah. The dogs can hear it. So, so like, it was, it was causing him physical pain, but it's because he has better hearing or whatever, right? Yes. Um, so that was, that was my read. And then Miles is just like, what, what? And he's like pointing it at him. And like, <laughs> some, some good physical acting by there was, Armin Shimmerman. There was a lot there. of Quark's ears um, content in this episode. It comes, <laughs> it, it was in the scene, the tango scene also. <laughs> when Don't Dax, talk about my lobes unless you mean it. But also like said. Dax was like commenting on his tell. And that it like uh, yes. in so that's when she he she knows he's lying when he like touches his ear <laughs> or something like that. His ears gave him away. I don't know that they ever solved the voles problem by the end, so that's kind of amusing. Also, I don't remember if they ever come up again. I'm I'm just going to assume that the the sonic thing that hurt Quark ended up <laughs> working. Salt working. <laughs> Although the uh, the Pied Piper uh, bit where was it was it was it um, Julian who sends Miles the flute? Yeah, um, the, the pan flute. Oh, I didn't realize who um, had. Sent I thought it, to it was. Him. I thought it was Julian. I thought it was, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to who sent it, but that still was really funny. So next we have plot B, which was basically the whole proto-universe crisis. Um, just for some background, um, Dax 
took Arjun out on a runabout that got damaged in the wormhole, wormhole, and there was some seaweed-type thing that was attached to the runabout, which they had brought back to the science lab. And then the seaweed thing kept growing and expanding in, like, a proto-universe. Um, and they realized that the entire system is going to be destroyed by it eventually if it keeps growing and growing. <laughs> that creeps me out. In, like, a science fiction way, not in, like, a real way. Like, the idea of, like, a universe growing and, like, taking over the universe that exists already. It's creepy stuff. I mean that in, like, a good way. Like, it... It... That's, like, why it felt, like, important. Because it was basically gonna kill all of them. Life finds a way. <laughs> I wonder if all those voles were girls. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um Yeah, so they're going to they're going to try to get this thing to self-destruct by pull, putting it in a containment field until Dax realizes that it's possible that there are actual um it could be intelligent life in that thing. And that is where Kira and Odo have their conversation, which we mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kira's like, let's just destroy it. And I do like that Odo phrases it as co potentially committing mass murder because yeah. they don't know the... Julian points out that they don't know if time is experienced the same way in the proto-universe, so while it was only a few hours to our time, or the Deep Space Nine crew's time, it could yeah. have been billions of years. So, it could be entire civilizations. They just don't have a way of knowing that, which just makes me feel very small as, like, a human being. Yeah, it's 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 like a more dramatic version of the, that bit at the end of Men in Black, the first Men in Black movie, where where just the galaxies just all the universe of galaxies is just all marbles and that one aliens uh, yes sack um or even the the whole galaxy being on orion's belt thing yeah cap. yep maybe i should rewatch the first men in black today it's been that's a good um, idea um i feel like that, I don't, I don't... that being said a, a cab includes the men in black <laughs> um i don't remember the last time i rewatched that I did not see the new version because I of the bad reviews it got. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. A couple of years ago, I bought like it was like a Blu-ray like set on sale that had really the only good one is the first one. Cause yeah, I, I don't the remember like the second one. I didn't. I didn't really like like. I mean, I think I liked Laura Flynn Boyle in the second one, mm -hmm. but uh, that was me being a teenager. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it has it has all four. So like, I'm sure at some point. Out of morbid curiosity, I will watch right. the the Men in Black International just because like I do like Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. But I do wonder if being further away from the marketing and the buzz and then un unbuzz, I guess if you will, of that movie, that maybe it will be better than we anticipate it to be. I mean, maybe, and even if it's bad, though, sometimes I feel like I have to watch bad movies to lower my average rank on the box. Because generally, if I like a movie, it's at least getting three and a half stars. I think that and most of them are getting four to five. I mean, I'm similar unless I really hate something, and I don't think anyone is. I don't think I don't personally feel the need to lower my average purposefully. Um, though oh. I did watch Dead 7 somewhat recently, which is a film by Nick Carter that was on the Sci-Fi channel that really probably lowered my average rating because I think I gave that a half a star because it was the yeah. worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah. R last month for the first time, I watched the third Mummy movie. Oh, which, yes. Which is currently my lowest, my lowest ranked film on Letterboxd. It's a star and a half. Nice. Um, but I almost gave it five stars because while it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, it was a lot of fun. So <laughs> if I wasn't a coward, I would have given it five stars. <laughs> I think um, personal enjoyment 
and having a fun time go a long way in my ratings, regardless if it was good. Um, I had a wonderful time watching Dead 7, though, because I watched it with a friend, but it was still really awful. We basically (laughs) made fun of it the entire time. I To get back to the proto-universe, I found the comparison that Sisko makes um, in his mind, basically, about the Borg and how... I don't know if I, like, fully grasp exactly what he was saying, but I got the impression he was basically saying, like, we fought with the Borg and they were, like, intelligent life, but also... If you think about the Borg, most of the... The people that are in the Borg didn't choose to be there. And so it's interesting that you're kind of fighting a group of people that didn't choose to be in the army that they're in. And, like, how ethical is it that you're, like, fighting them instead of trying to save them? I don't know. I don't know that it's an exact correlation, but I think it was interesting that Cisco was thinking about that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. That's an interesting because I hadn't really considered that. I was, it was more like, you know, him not wanting to to be the board to this like proto universe and just kind of wipe out their existence and his feelings there, but like. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The idea of Borg drones being assimilated and not obviously <laughs> consenting to assimilation and, you know what I mean, things like yeah, that. Where it's, it's like, yeah. I think... Oh, I like that. I think because I recently watched Voyager, that is more why I think of it that way, because of Seven. Um, right. And all the... There were a bunch of kids that had gotten um, saved by Voyager um, that were de-assimilated as well that we I think we mentioned that before but it's just the whole idea that they're kind of unaware of what's happening and obviously if there are intelligent life forms in this proto-universe they're not aware of what their universe is doing to deep space nine at all I would assume what if we're a proto-universe in someone's space station right now? I would rather be a in a marble, I think. Okay. <laughs> if I had a choice. It's probably prettier and, like, a little bit more portable. So we could be, like, pocket size. And everyone knows that things that are pocket size are cuter, so... So in the end, they decide to bring this proto-universe back into the wormhole, and I don't really know how that fixes anything, was my kind of issue with this storyline. Like, is it still... Wouldn't it still destroy some sort of other system? I don't know. I think the idea is that they found it, it was floating through, like, the void... So I guess there's, like, a possibility, but if, I guess it's, like, if they return it to where they found it, it can just go back and yeah. do its thing. Let's pretend we never saw it. <laughs> I do not see it. <laughs> so our main storyline is um, Dax and the initiate Arjun. Arjun is so uptight. I, like cannot get on his level even though I have been known to be uptight at times <laughs> uh, he needs to have fun is really what I'm getting from this <laughs> I I found the whole you kind of don't realize that the Dax symbiont is, is I don't know if every symbiont has like this kind of legendary history. Like, the Dax symbiont was portrayed as this legendary symbiont that is such a huge deal in this episode. And it felt a little... I mean, I guess Arjun wants to do his homework to know what he's in for for his two-week training, but it felt, like, so... I was a little creeped out by how much information he thought he knew about Dex because 
I think most of that information did not include what Jadzia is up to right now. So we all we know that a trill host is changed every time or a chill sorry a symbiont is changed every time it goes to a different host because it has all of the previous memories plus the personality of the new host so it's never going to be what you expect yeah i think it's like my my understanding has always been it's like a blended like a like a different sort of like not a total wholly different personality but like kind of a blending so like the symbiote has its own tastes and preferences and personalities and like the host would and then it's it's kind of like a blending of that right because like i'm thinking back to is it vortex the one where um varad shows up and, and steals the the dax symbiont um no it was um no vortex is the odo one yeah um, it's... what's the other one with that creepy surgery. Um, yeah. I forget the name of that episode, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, with the marsupial pocket. Yeah, Vortex is the one where the one with um, the prisoner transfer or whatever, where they. Yeah. They go, oh, that's an and the one, the one you're talking about had the like one girlfriend that was helping him, the heisty girlfriend. Yeah. The, the, um, the symbiote heist. Mm-hmm. Heist. But like Virad, like, um, Jonathan, it's Jonathan Glover, right? Because I kept saying Julian Glover when we were. <laughs> I think it's Jonathan. Anyways, Varad's performance is quite different once, like he, like you know, has the Dax symbiote, and the part of why he says he chooses the Dax symbiote is like similar, the host and he and and the symbiote having similar interests. It's also conveniently placed by by the wormhole, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I feel like it's it's a blending and like obviously Dax's reputation, like Dax's symbiont, um, yeah, a lot of it like Curzon was was a tough uh a mentor teacher, but I I get the sense that like the previous hosts were as well, and it's I don't know, it's Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like I don't think it was just Curzon was a pain in the ass. Like I got the impression that the Dax I got the impression that the Dax symbiont was a hard one to get approved for. Like, yeah. you had to be a certain kind of person to to get that one. And, I mean, even in the episode, we find out that Curzon had recommended that Jadzia not be a host. And I don't want to get into what we learn later in seasons, but that kind of gets addressed again. Which made me a little bit cynical about this plot in a way that you weren't supposed to be yet. Um, but I do, I do find it funny that after that happened, she, you know, she probably, you know, she took to heart kind of some of the things that he probably said and decided, okay, well, I'm going to do things how I want to. And that's why she's not the quiet mousy person that we are explained that she is. Like, I can't even imagine her being shy or quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was funny because when she did get approved, they were like, she said, you know, I want the Dax symbiont. And Curzon apparently didn't argue that. And I think (laughs) Jazia explains that Curzon probably appreciated the irony. And I get the, I just get the impression that Curzon is like a curmudgeon of a person and is finicky and we... I feel like he would be very interesting to learn more about. Um, I'm more interested in Jadzia, but I do find everything we hear about Curzon to be very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, um... One other thing I found interesting is that the way that Arjun was speaking about wanting to be joined is very um it was like that was the end all and be all is to be joined it and like why are they going to give you a symbiont if you're just going to like sit on your ass with it like they yeah that's not enough (laughs) so obviously jadzia wanted to be in starfleet and wanted to be a science officer and so 
it was how her path and the deck symbiont could do that together was very important. And Arjun needs to find out what his goals are going to be outside of what his father wanted for him. And you find out, like, his dad wanted his sister to be joined, not even him. Yeah, because Jadzi is very much like when she is talking about it with with Cisco. she's like, well, what did, like, Arjun's just basically living out his dad's ambition. It's like that, you know, hockey player that has the hockey dad who couldn't quite make it, so he forces his, his kid to, like, live out his, his right. NHL dream. Yeah. Because um, he can't, like, so he can live vicariously through his kid. Yeah. Um, obviously, his dad is dead now, so he's like, has the extra pressure that he puts on himself of, like, the whole dying wish thing. Right. But Jadzia says to Ben that, like, he like what like you have to bring something to the joining right um you can't expect the symbiont to do all the work (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um which i thought was kind of interesting too and there's this whole like other element to this whole storyline where jadzia when she was an initiate her um advisor super initiate like you know student teacher or <laughs> mentor teacher or whatever um was curzon dax as well so like she's kind of to quote Joni mitchell seeing it from both sides now <laughs> <laughs> um right um but to arjun specifically and like when arjun gets called on his shit and then he lashes out um arjun has a lot of pressure was put on him by his father and then he has like intensified that and put it on himself. And it's like, I'm not excusing his behavior, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I understand it. And the amounts of like, I mean, it's never good to like diagnose characters and fictions with various real life um, <laughs> conditions, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I'm with you. Don't but worry. like th- th- they're, I wouldn't be surprised if there were um, various elements of like severe anxiety, like related to that. Yeah. And, like, the amount of like pressure that he puts on himself to have this kind of like perfect life and to get joined. And like, even when Jedzia catches him on basically trying to blow smoke up her ass because after dinner, he realized he fucked up with some of his comments. So he tries to like do damage control. Yeah. Like, I can I can appreciate that. That is something um, I do even still. So yes, I can understand that um, completely. I like. I feel like I probably brought this up on on the podcast before, but some of this stuff definitely reminded me of American Pastoral, the Philip Roth novel, um, which I have unfortunately not read or seen any. I think there was a movie, right? Yeah, I haven't seen the movie. I like. I am vaguely curious because it's like you and McGregor's directorial debut, but it's like I think a real it's the book feels to read it unadaptable, so like I'm that's probably why the movie's not great, uh, allegedly. I um, it's funny because my favorite book that I've ever read, I refuse to watch the movie of, even though the movie's probably not bad because I don't. I just don't want my experience of reading the book to be affected. And I know that that's like a personal choice, but I kind of, I feel like just don't, don't ever watch the movie. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. What, what movie? What book? Um, Inherent Vice. Oh, right. We've talked. Yeah. yeah this, this, I, I love that book and I picked it up randomly um, from the library when I lived in Arizona and I loved it so much. And, but when they came out with the that they were doing the movie, I was kind of like, Oh, but anyway. And here I'm like, I need to rewatch the movie because I watched it last year for the first time, and I'm sure it's it was great. In, and it was in a was in a certain state, so like I was like into it, but like I feel like it probably gets better on a rewatch. Right. Um, but yeah, so American Pastoral, like there's this whole motif of like glove making and like the amount of like craftsmanship and like perfection that goes into it and it's like the main character is trying to craft this like perfect life and it's like the more you focus on like 
trying to do that um the more shit can go wrong it's like you, you squeeze really tight and like stuff slips through your fingers yep um and kind of that that whole that reminds me of like where i think arjun's a little bit where like he's so singularly focused that like he's ultimately not setting himself up for success and i really like that um that scene where they're playing chess that we meant that we kind of just alluded to before between jadzia and ben where ben's like you're not doing him any favors by avoiding the confrontation right so it's like that's that's the way to go like and i I really appreciated that and i and i think i do think that even though in the moment him like lashing out at her is really awful and mean and he says some really horrible things i think chadzia appreciates it as well because later on she points out to him she said that was the first time that you were honest with me and I don't mean, like, it's the truth what he said. I meant he was saying what he honestly felt in that moment. And yeah. I think she really did appreciate that he was not putting on, like, a false, like, pretense of who he was when he was lashing out. Which, and not to say he's, like, someone that lashes out at everyone or anything like that. It just, he reached the boiling point from her. And I think I when I was reading, um... When I was reading on um, Memory Alpha, Je- uh, Terry Farrell had said she purpose like the Jadzia was purposely doing things to Arjun to kind of get him to see to get to see how he reacted, yeah. which I found to be really interesting. And so, <laughs> how he acted was he lashed out at her eventually. <laughs> but I do think you're. Um, I just, the whole grasping so tight that things slip through the fingers is a really good visual for me on um, what's going on here. I, I like that Arjun kind of, I don't mean it in, like, Jadzia doesn't, isn't the type to, like, drown her sorrows in alcohol so much, but I do think that Arjun going to Quark's and doing that does feel like he's being himself and acting in a certain way that is natural to himself versus how he's like thinks he's supposed to act. So I really did enjoy um, that scene, but I I liked Quark saying to him, Bashir's in here every other day crying into his synthale over her. <laughs> I think I've said before that I'm completely over the Julian has a crush on Danzia aspect of yeah. the show, but I am not yeah. over other people commenting on it. Like, I'm completely <laughs> fine with the fact that Quark is, like, joking about it because he says it in, like, a ugh kind of way. Like, he's, like, thinks, you know, like, he's looking it's down like on... stupid Ju- simp. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm look, kind of looking down on Julian also. Like, just on, like, a, I, I did like um, that Arjun's entrance onto the station with Bashir and Bashir taking him to Quark's was, like, it very much kind of mirrored um, Dax and Bashir's entrance in the pilot, where, again, this whole simping thing that's gone on too long kind of, like, started where they sat together on the transport and, like, started a conversation or whatever so i did kind of like a little bit of that mirroring there but it also made me wonder is like bashir that really annoying person that like strikes up a conversation with you and all you want to do is like read or like watch a movie on the flight or whatever or take a nap and she, and, yeah and julian's like hi i'm julian what's your name <laughs> that is really funny like sometimes i am in the mood to converse with strangers and then most of the time i'm just like please don't talk to me because like I am not at my best, like, on an airplane. Like, I am in my coziest outfit just trying to, like, get through it. So, like, the idea of having, like, a full-on conversation is very funny to me. (laughs) Julian was so... I thought... Well, that... Yes, there's that aspect. But Julian was just so nice and welcoming to him also. Like, he he's a sweetie. (laughs) I just... I like that he described Jazia as a night owl. And that she was just, like, up playing tango work oh Arjun do, do you play tango no <laughs> then leave yeah that's so mean um yeah I I kind of said this earlier but like I just really cannot imagine the Jadzia that existed before Dax like I cannot picture her being quiet or shy or anything like that yeah 
But I'm glad she thought. I'm not saying like Curzon was right to say that she should not be a host, but at the same time, if she was like quiet and shy and not going through the motions of doing what you're supposed to do, which we've already said in this episode is is not enough to be a troll host. If she was doing all of those things, then I I get it. And I'm glad instead of quitting, she just decided that she was going to take charge of her life and make decisions about what she actually wanted to do. Yeah. Because I think it could have been a comment that makes someone quit, you know? Very easily. Very easily. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article or like a a post about this episode from uh, May 2012 in AV Club by Zach Handlin. It was um like a recap, like someone was rewatching it and I really liked what Zach had to say about Jazia. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read that real quick. Nope. Okay. Please do. Zach says This is what makes the character interesting. She is, in her way, the most perfect expression of the original Star Trek ethos, the joy, the wonder of exploration and discovery. Sure, she's not on a starship, but the station's proximity to the wormhole offers potential for science and cultural study. And what to outsiders may look like screwing around is, well, okay, part of it is just screwing around. (laughs) <laughs> like when she's playing uh this is me speaking like when she's playing yeah. tango like yeah it may look like she's playing around but she i think she's doing a cultural study of who's around her and, and embracing it okay go back going to back to the quote but it's great to spend time with someone who has a the requisite inner peace and patience to know the value of a rich diverse life beside because sorry because of the experience of the symbiont Jadzia's shyness and drive are mitigated, just as her youthful ambition and p- passion help, in turn, to enrich Dax's entity, enrich the Dax entity's journey. Plus, she clearly enjoys messing around with her friends. She's just cool. I dig that. That is 100% how I feel about Jadzia and why she's my favorite character. And I just didn't think I could phrase that better than how Zach explained it. We'll um, put a link to that article in the show notes. Although I would be cautious because there are two episodes covered in that link and the second one we have not covered yet, but they're separated very clearly in the, in the article. So you don't have to read further than you want to. Well, Elise, I don't know about you, but we've been, been chatting for a while. And I mean, there's been a lot a lot of Jadzia Dax talk this week so uh I'm feeling pretty thirsty I don't know about you um so who who's your candidate for the Altair water thirst quencher this week um I'm thirsting for Jadzia and her wrestling partner um post wrestling workout and shower she comes out in that towel and I 100% believe that after they wrestled she just like like, why is he still there after her shower's over? They they totally banked. And I'm here for it. <laughs> if he was just her coach, he would have left when she went to go take a shower. I think. She looked really cute in her towel, and it was really... It was interesting, and I say interesting... <laughs> the word interesting is um, covering up a lot of sins for me. Just to see, like, <laughs> where the spots go <laughs> under her uniform. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and listeners, in the show notes, Elise has has a picture of of that scene. Arjun's just looking off into space, kind yes. of awkwardly. It was such a such a good moment for yes. for a lot of different different reasons. Um, maybe my I'll, candidate. Maybe I'll sorry, um, I'll include that in in our tweet when we um when we post the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Padres will be horny on Maine when this episode yes. gets posted. <laughs> Um, my, my thirst quenching moment this week was, um, when Quark comes up with the Vols and starts complaining about how Starfleet and, and the Bajoran government are shitty landlords, because uh, they're vermin all over his, <laughs> his bar. Um, I feel like Kira, 
I feel like that's the first time Quark and I agree that landlords are shitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, when, but when Kira is really mean to Quark, as she is, and Quark's just like, she's still not willing to, you know, acknowledge her latent attraction to me or, or whatever. I, don't, I just, I like when Kira is mean to Quark. And no, we won't unpack that anymore right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love it. Elise, and what was your, your candidate for the most Star Trek thing of the episode? Um, just debating whether to destroy a potential civilization or not, and then having it just, like, not be the most important part of the episode. Yeah. I, I think, like, and that would have been mine as well. I think my only, like, yes and to that, <laughs> the only thing that would have made it more Star Trek is if when they have that conversation, like, the whole, like, to step on ants, not step on ants, <laughs> moral moral debate that we talked about earlier, if it was at a conference table, like, at the briefing room table or whatever, that's right. the only thing that would have made it more Star Trek, but... uh the Space Nine doesn't have one yet, so they just have it out and open in the ops. We can but, pretend uh, in our minds that it's at the the TNG conference table. Yeah, right. <laughs> but spoil spoiler alert, um DS9 eventually gets a conference room. So <laughs> I feel like you just need a conference room, like in this how are you gonna have like dip- diplomatic meetings? Like you just you need one. Alright, Elise. Until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox as well as at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch me talking about Mad Men with two friends of the pod on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths, and you can also email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice, and thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.